Globally, pandemics and epidemics have ravaged humanity, often changing the course of history and throwing the world into disorder. In 1918, for example, the influenza pandemic spread across the world, infiltrating nearly all areas of human habitation. In less than a year, the pandemic had run its course, ultimately responsible for about 50 million deaths worldwide. This was one of the greatest catastrophes in human history. So what exactly can we learn from past pandemics and how do we apply these lessons to our current situation? Hello and welcome to NOW, our podcast that examines the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on all aspects of our lives. I am Raymond Bola brown Lawyer and historian Ed Chiazzo tells us how many people died in Nigeria from the Spanish flu pandemic. In the old Uwe province, 41,000 people died. Uh, in uh, Iloni, about 63,000 people died, and so on and so forth. And in the north, you know, like in the far north, there were huge casualties. And in fact, at one stage, one-third of the expatriates, the Europeans in the north, were infected with the, with the Spanish flu. Medical doctor Tui Mabuando explains some of the challenges Nigeria faces in handling the COVID-19 pandemic. It's quite challenging. There are quite a lot of people who are still doubting the existence of um, COVID-19. But you can see who you can talk to that they will tell you that they lost somebody to that epidemic. Now, and for everything, there's always the room for the mischief makers and the conspiracy theorists who don't want to believe. Even if the people falling on down, they will say that no, it's not COVID. Celebrated alternative singer and songwriter Ego explains in her own unique way why we should be hopeful. I wouldn't do for you Cause I believe in you I will save you With all my heart It's true We're gonna make it The coronavirus pandemic, which started in Wuhan, China in December 2019, continues to ravage the world. And although the numbers are nowhere near the 1918 pandemic, which infected 500 million people, with 50 million dying worldwide and half a million dying specifically in Nigeria, experts believe we can learn from what happened then. Edward Emeka Kiazo is a historian, lawyer, author and documentary filmmaker whose published books include 120 Great Nigerians You Never Knew and the Nigerian History Photo Book. It tells me how the Spanish flu was imported into Nigeria. It actually started in America. The first case was found in Kansas uh, in March uh, and then uh, the, at the Anami base. And then, uh, incidentally, soldiers were being shipped out from America to, the, to, to World War I, which was taking place at that time. You know, it lasted between 1914 and 1918. So it is, it is very, it is, uh, scientists generally point to the fact that the flu actually came from America, but it was called the Spanish flu because um, it was first reported in Spain, in the Spanish uh, press, because most other presses were censored at the time. But Spain was neutral in the world, so its press was not censored, so it reported it. But the name Spanish flu stopped. But however, in real terms, it should actually be called the American flu. So how then did, did the Spanish flu get into Africa, but most especially West Africa. Now, um, it got to West Africa. We were generally, because there were three waves of the uh, Spanish flu epidemic. 
The first was in early 1918. Uh, the second, that's in, in the spring. The second was in the summer, and the third was in the autumn, uh, which is kind of like, you know, from uh, September onwards to, this, uh, you know, to, 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 to December when the winter starts. Now, we in Africa had avoided the early parts of it, but then at the end of the war, when soldiers were being shipped back, so African soldiers who had fought in the World War One, and other soldiers who were en route, you know, because the West African coast was a part of the shipping line route at the time. So um, the, the uh, West Africa first experienced it in Sierra Leone and Ghana, it was called the Gold Coast then, when, in fact, Sierra Leone suffered the, you know, greatly from the effects of it in the sense that from August when it landed, uh, you know, there was, there was a massive, it was a massive, uh, uh, you know, there was a massive spread, you know, from the ports, from Freetown port. First, something like the, like uh, 4% of the Sierra Leone population died. Uh, and, and then the thing is the governor, the uh, governor of Sierra Leone actually sent a, a letter, a message to the sanitary, the chief sanitary inspector of Lagos to say, look, this thing is coming. There's a serious illness spreading, which has been identified as the Spanish flu, which we've been hearing about since March. It's coming to Lagos, put uh, measures in place. So how did the Lagos authorities react to the information that the Spanish flu is heading towards Lagos? So uh, unfortunately, the cut, you know, the, 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 it, was, it was late because the first time, the first uh, Spanish flu patients patient found were around the Edo Wharf. Three crew members from a ship, the SS Panayotis, were found on well, you know, they were lying on well on the ground, on the, you know, in, in, in the wharf. And um, a medical doctor, who the, uh, one of the uh, government medical doctors inspected them and was like, and identified positively that the flu had arrived. But then that wasn't even the worst, because on the same day, in September, when, the, uh, when this ship landed, another ship called the SS Bida uh, landed. And the thing is, before that time, the, the pre-birthing uh, screening which ought to have been carried out, was not carried out on the SS Bida because the, the captain of the ship was a regular visitor to the harbor, and so he had free clearance. First, that the, uh, the ship bursted port side, and the passenger, passengers, of which 239 were unwell, entered into the general population. So community spread had started. Because at this time, the, the Lagos Medical Authorities had decided to quarantine ships in a, what's called a pool. So all the passengers were kept on board and they were given food. But unfortunately, these 239 passengers escaped. So they, had, they now breached that uh, entry quarantine. And then very soon, the population of Lagos began to be infected with this illness. 1,200 people died between September 1918 and uh, March, February to March 1919. But you see, Lagos had a population of about 81,000 people. So 1,200 is a lot of people. Tell us uh, what actually were the symptoms of the Spanish flu of um, back in the day. You know, if we think, if we think uh, COVID-19 was bad, the Spanish flu combined symptoms of Ebola and COVID-19 in the sense that it could, there, there was hemorrhaging and the hemorrhaging is kind of like bleeding, internal bleeding, edema, you know, like water gathering, a form of pneumonia. So it combined both uh, uh, symptoms, which was actually quite, quite debilitating and quite horrible, to, to, to be fair. So that uh, very soon, it started spreading in the Nigerian hinterland. Now, part of the strategy of the Lagos Medical Authorities had been to, there were three strategies. One, to stop the thing from getting on the shore. Now, if it had gotten onto the shore, to stop it from leaving Lagos. 
Now, unfortunately, these two had already been these two had already been lost. The last fresh, desperate uh, damage limitation measure which the medical authorities decided on was to say ships that the ships with very very high incidences of the illness were to be quarantined. Ships with moderate uh, uh, variants of the illness were to be allowed to move freely because already the, the population was already being infected. So that the reason why they had to quarantine the most uh, heavily uh, uh, infested ships was because they were scared of mutation of the virus into a more da uh, dangerous strain and maybe some more worse illnesses em emanating. So what was the cause of this infection? How long did it actually last in Nigeria? The reality is that it, by the uh, middle of, by uh, early to middle of March, or middle of uh, 1919, in the same way, the speed at which the virus had entered Nigeria was the speed at which it disappeared. But you see, so that in a way, it could be what, they call, what the doctors call herd immunity had not developed because millions of Nigerians were infected with this disease. But close now, that figure of uh, half a million is not exact. The exact figure of those who were report, of reported cases is about 450,000. Now, you and I know that in a time when, even in, nowadays with all the documentation and technology, the numbers of cases of COVID-19 are grossly underreported. Even here in London, in the UK where I am, you know, much less in Nigeria, you know, of present day, uh, present day, and far much less in Nigeria uh, 102 years ago. You understand? There are lots of people died in the bush, lots of people who absconded from their houses because the, an isolation hospital was built at Ikoiji to place people. And people were scared because they felt, ah, the colonialists want to take, carry us away and they will seize all our property. Lots of people ran away into the bush, you know, ran away into hinterland towns, Meanwhile, they were spreading the disease along the way. So people were dying at home, dying in the... In fact, people were dying on the streets of Lagos. So for a disease that has no cure, for which there's no vaccine, what you want to do is manage the people who are unwell. And then, you know, if the facilities... If too many people are getting sick, then your facilities are not enough to handle the people who are unwell. And that's what happened in Lagos. That's what happened in all medical centers. The public health infrastructure across Nigeria was stretched. So how were we able to actually, you know, contain the virus in um, Nigeria? In Nigeria, in Lagos in particular, basically public gatherings were shut down. You know, public gatherings like mosques, like political meetings, social parties, religious gatherings, where, you know, they were, they were banned. However, markets were not shut down, but there were strict regulations. You know what I mean? And, there, you know, there was also sanitation measures. There were inspections, door-to-door inspections, house-to-house inspections of, uh, you know, for looking for, you know, where the, the authorities searched for those who were unwell and, either, you know, had them taken to the uh, uh, isolation facility. But even that suffered, too, because at one stage, the people who were, the government officials who were, the, who were uh, looking for the sick patients started falling ill and dying to a point that there was a saying in Yoruba at the time, Oori, Ikure, you know, when you translate to me, this is death here, this is money here. Uh, the white man says you should come and take. Are you going to go? So it was a very common saying in Lagos at the time. Just like the origins of the Spanish flu remain controversial, so is the origin of the current coronavirus pandemic ravaging the world and Nigeria as articulated Tony Wankolo. An environmental virologist and research analyst. They want to claim that there was an intermediate vector or host between the travel of the virus from the across the what is called the cross species barrier. Then the other animal they are trying to blame 
also wasn't sold in the market. There's some, you know, incomplete uh, analysis in that story. That's one. Then two, the virus um, genome that I studied because I went to the National Institute of Health and looked at what the medical professionals who, you know, got on site or had access to the variant from COVID-19 patients in Wuhan and the analysis using the various, uh, you know, genetic alignment software to see what family or, you know, they were developing something called the phylogenetic tree to see which similarities this new virus has genetically uh, to other viruses that have been discovered in the database. So a lot of very strange information came out from the phylogenetic analysis, the amino acid sequencing, and then the nucleotide sequencing um, on COVID-19. Is it really possible for a virus to jump from an animal uh, onto a human being? And if so, how so? So uh, a lot of people think that a virus is a strange uh, sub-microscopic organism. We have close to 300 trillion viruses in our bodies. Viruses have been with us since before we even came. So there's nothing strange about viruses. What happens is when, when a virus that is, that, that is supposed to be in a different species, you know, it's not the virus that was found in the bat wasn't killing the bat, okay? It's when it crosses the species, then it doesn't, we are not its normal host. So it causes mutations or diseases or infections in our host cell, because a virus is not really alive till it gains access to its host cell. Now, you said a virus is not really alive. Uh, can you kindly explain that? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure even you, when you went to school, they told you, they taught us what characteristics of living things are, yes. right? Respiration, irritability, growth, movement, you know, all of those things. So vi- the virus has some of those things, but it, can, it doesn't have any process of its own. It has to hijack a cell, right? For example, a virus cannot rep- cannot reproduce; it can replicate. Now, is, there, is, is replication a form of reproduction? That's a scientific argument you know, that you can't have here. A virus doesn't respire. There's nothing like respiration. It's just a solvent. It's a compound. It's like calling a protein that is alive. If, if enzymes are not alive, they are intelligent uh, chemicals because they have definite chemical reactions and ke- definite processes they regulate in the body without human intervention. But you cannot say because they are, that they have that level of intelligence. You call them living things. They are not in cell. They don't have organelles. That's what I mean. It's a known fact by science that um, a virus does not really have a cure. So how do you contain viruses? Can viruses, um, uh, can viruses ever be eradicated from the world? Because a virus that, has that, a virus that did not leverage a bacteria as its vector, like your common cold, right, is a rhinovirus member family, but it doesn't go in as a virus. It goes in through a bacteria, okay? But the viruses that go in as viruses to the cells, for example, COVID-19 goes in through uh, one of the cell receptors called ACE2. And everywhere there's an ACE2 receptor in the lungs, in the arteries, in the veins, in the intestine, the virus will because that's the only way it can get into the whole cell. So if people were trying to look for what kinds of diseases COVID-19 would cause, for example, you then have to look at which cell receptor it enters through, for example. And when you find out which cell receptor it enters through, you have to then look at what it it disrupts inside the cell. Unfortunately for us in Nigeria, we're not very, you know, science is not a popular subject matter. So you cannot have very common intellectual conversations on this thing. Now, uh, considering the fact that um, 
The World Health Organization says that Africa could be the epicenter of the world. What factors could be in play here? From what we saw in Italy and the way they claimed that people were dying and the numbers we saw on CNN from early February till now, if that's really how you know people die of COVID, yes, the expectation should be the same, especially because here we are more an integrated culture where we live in social circles and you know we are always interacting, mingling with a lot of physical contact. So there's not much social distancing you can do in in a Kong market or, or you know it's just we are very that's how we are especially Africans and so um, when you live communally you expect that if a disease that is claimed to kill in the way it does and when you have to you know you pass your body exchange body fluids is is the highest uh, most dangerous way in of, the, of contact and we still have only less than 500 deaths in the entire country. It, it will lend credence to what the doctors you interviewed said, how we relieve COVID-19. So for me, there's a lot of error, and some people seem not to want to talk about it anywhere. Some people are of the opinion that they're just conspiracy theories. If you understand science, you will know what a conspiracy theory is. Science doesn't accept that. Science does not accept race. It does not accept color. The circumference of a circle is 2 pi r. If I'm from Mongolia or from Oshun State, it does not change from 2 pi r. That's how clear science is. So people who don't understand science can be sensational about it. You cannot change the atomic number of carbon from 6 to 7 because you feel that your mood has changed. Science doesn't recognize those things. So anybody can say what they like. The more you talk, the more you reveal your ignorance of science. But it's okay, it's fine. The people who understand it need need to be having conversations on how does the virus enter into the host cell? How do you stop the virus from entering into the host cell? If they know that there is a real COVID-19, that should be the conversation. However, if it's a fake COVID-19, the only way we can find out is by asking the NCDC and our Institute of Immunology to publish the Nigerian COVID-19 genome. They should publish what they saw. They should isolate it from one of the people who have died and publish it so that the scientific community can come up with real cure, not those Madagascar organic malaria type foolishness. The myriad of untested cures being banded around are not the only issues confronting Nigeria's public health officials battling to contain the COVID-19 pandemic in the country. Dr. Tuye Mebuando is a public health physician and alumnus of the World Bank Institute and consultant to the Lagos State Government on Health Matters. I asked him what is the biggest challenge dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic in Nigeria. There are quite a lot of people who are still doubting the existence of um, COVID-19. But you can see who you can talk to that they will tell you that they lost somebody to that epidemic. Now, and for everything, there's always the room for the mischief makers and the conspiracy theorists who don't want to believe. Even if the people falling us down, they'll say that no, it's not COVID. Um, a clear, a, a, the one that you see that's a bit nearer to 1918-1919 pandemic, was what we experienced in Cardo that within a certain number of weeks, such a huge number of people died. Up to today, nobody has come to tell us what killed them. If you were the uh, chairman of the, uh, the presidential task force on uh, COVID-19, what would you have done uh, differently? What I would do is this. I would first of all ensure that I deepen the communication. My focus would be on Prevention, those clear cutting, avoid crowd, 
cover your face when you are out, wash your hands, embrace hygiene eh, and sanitation. Now, I know that the stakeholders in this thing, you know, are so varied. I will have called those pastors and called them and said, this is your own role in this prevention. Um, take this thing, do for sanitizing, take this thing, take this one, and ensure that membership of your church and your congregation follow through for this period of time we're going to lock down the country. I will have called traditional and said, listen, you hold sway, you have authority in your domain, do this for us. I will have called road transport workers and market women and ensure that I deepen communication at the lowest level on, on prevention practice, prevention methodology. Now, in terms of testing, you see, I will opt for a rapid test first, and I'll do my testing in clusters. I'm not going to start looking for uh, how to, you know, uh, test everybody. That, that is difficult. What do I mean by clusters? Since we enter community transmission, if I find out that in this market some people are positive, I will run to the market, okay, and test samples of people around that market to understand. If I find out that in this community, okay, along somebody is positive, I will run around that community and do my test. I'll do the cluster. If I if I if my, my lockdown will be in this differently. Because if I find out that this government is having so much a high number of the positive cases, I'll probably focus on that little government and ensure that you know, we do what is necessary in that little government. I will call all my health workers, whether you are private, public, or whatever, or, and each of them must have a role to play in their community to fight the coronavirus. Wanke Ego Yanacho Ogbaro, known professionally as Ego, is a Nigerian singer and songwriter. Celebrated on the alternative music scene, she is also known for her award-winning collaboration with Nigerian producer and performer Lagbaja. I spoke to her about the pandemic and its impact on her work and started by asking her first if she is receiving requests for help from her fans as has occurred with many celebrities. Um, I, I got a lot of that. And, um, for me, I do the best that I can. If I can help, I... I, I... I do, and I did, you know, and for me, it's not even about this period. It's something that I've, I've always done, you know, but um, we're sort of in the same boat, and, you know, it's, it's unfair for people to think that, oh, artists have it better because, oh, they make money, oh, they're out there. Um, they are going through a lot, too, you know. Yes, some have more than others, but, I mean... It's it's still not easy. You, you can't expect you. You know you're saying you're counting it as, um, oh five k per person. If somebody saying okay, I'm 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 doing a giveaway for example five k per person. You you know you are counting it as five k for you, but that is like five hundred thousand because it's it's multiplied by a lot of people. Mm. You know, so that's five hundred thousand. That's one million. You know, you're giving people that you don't know. It's not the easiest thing to do. So for me, I think, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, and it's a fantastic thing, but that feeling of entitlement should not even come to play. It's their choice. It's their prerogative to give, to give, you know, and they're doing it, you know, in the best way that they can. Um, they, they too have this issue of 
people not coming together, they're not they're not being able to play for people, not being able to do concerts. A lot of concerts have been cancelled because of this. So I think people should be more understanding. You know, if you can, fine. You know, you can give. If you can't, well, that's just the way it is. But that feeling of, oh, you must because you're an artist, oh, because you're in the entertainment business, oh, because, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. I don't think it's Why don't you look at it in this way? Um, I know personally that you are a very private person, and uh, you, the only thing you put on, on your social media spaces is your entertainment and your activities, and nothing personal. But in a situation where you have artists and their celebrities that are showing off the kind of food they're eating, the kind of cars they've just brought, the kind of uh, whatever, how they're enjoying themselves during this pandemic period, don't you think some celebrities bring it on themselves? to get requests for help from people? Um, well, it depends. I mean, for some people, I mean, that is how they make their money. That is how, you know, by being out there, you know, by being that kind of personality, that's, the, that's you know, that's that's what works for them. You know, whatever works for you, you know. Um, and whether you do that or not, I, I, I believe still doesn't give anybody the right to, and they work for their money, even if they're flaunting it, even if they're, you know, flashing things up and down in on Instagram. They they work for it, you know. So it's still they still did something to get it, you know. They still worked. So it, it doesn't make it a free for all. Oh, just because. Oh, so just because I put something out there means yeah. So I, I don't think they. I, I don't think it's fair to say oh they brought it on themselves. Instagram is what Instagram is. That's it's, they're entertaining people. People are, you know, looking at them. People are liking their pictures or videos, you know. So I don't think it's it's fair to say, okay, yes. So automatically they have to do it. Just Thank you very much, um, Ego. But on the last note, can you give us just one or two lines of one of your songs? Okay, this is from my album, my song. I okay. Suffering though is not in vain Smiling faces even though inside we're hurting I know you're going through so much pain Feel for you so much love and there is nothing I wouldn't do for you Cause I believe in you I will serve you with all my heart. It's true. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it though. And that's it for this edition of Now. I am Raymond Bola Brown.